0: Good morning it 's great to be with you this morning. Always wonderful to be here at Trinity and uh, I know what you 're thinking. The first thought you 've had when you woke up this morning was i can 't wait to get to church and learn about the book of zephaniah right this is, this is what you 've been waiting for I know um, so grateful that Pastor Dave gave me the opportunity to speak to you on this topic. but uh, Zephaniah is a short book in the bible we 're going to uh, open up there and look here um, and dive in here in just a minute. How many of you know that um, creators are passionate about their creation. Creators are passionate about their creation. This, this really starts, you can see this even in children at a very young age. My, my kids, when they start to draw a picture or even if they just start to color a picture, if you try to tell them what they should do, they get very upset. It's like, hey, uh, I say, say to one of my kids, hey, uh, honey, why don't, you, why don't you color that tree green instead of, you know, orange or purple? Why don't you put the bark on that tree? That should be brown. No, uh, why, why shouldn't the sky be blue? And they just want to color in however they want because it's their creation. They don't want you telling them what to do. This is my work of art, right? And that, that goes all the way up uh, uh, into the professional world, into show business, into artistic endeavors, um, and there's this thing called creative licensing, right, and creative ownership. Um, my wife and I, we subscribe to this um, this app called VidAngel. Some of you may be familiar with it. VidAngel is, a, is what's called a content filtering app, right? It's for families. Basically, you can watch movies, but you can say, I don't want to watch that part, that part, and that part because I don't want my kids to see that part, right? And you can filter out language. You can filter out violence. You can filter out all these different things. And VidAngel is one of our favorite apps because it allows us to filter the artistic expression through media that's being uh, presented to us. Well, I just found out two months ago that there's some movies on there that you can't filter. Anytime I try to filter a Disney movie, I can't filter it, and I wondered why. Well, I found out two months ago Disney had a lawsuit against uh, VidAngel, this app, and just won a lawsuit against them to the tune of $65 million dollars. And, uh, and so I'm a little upset about that personally just because, like, they're trying to come against this app that I love so much, but it still works. Thankfully, they're just going to re- reincorporate under Chapter 11 and all that stuff. But um, Disney, as a, as a company, is passionate about the, the artistic things that they own. They're passionate about the purity of what their artists are putting forward, saying, we don't want anybody touching our creation we created it to be this way, and we don't want anybody manipulating it, anybody changing it, anybody touching it. And that really uh, is what Zephaniah is all about. That God, the Creator, is passionate about His creation. That God, the Creator, God, the big idea of Zephaniah is this that God is jealous for His treasure. God is jealous. For his treasure, so let's talk about Zephaniah. So, who was who was Zephaniah? Who was Zephaniah? Well, Zephaniah was a prophet. He uh, prophesied during the uh, reign of King Josiah uh, to the Southern Kingdom of Judah around 620 BC. This is after the Northern Kingdom of Israel has already been sent into exile, has already been taken away by Assyria. So, he's only prophesying to the Southern Kingdom. Of Judah, and he's prophesying during the reign of Josiah. And if you recall, Josiah is this young uh, boy who becomes king. He becomes king at eight years old, and at 16 years old, he begins to seek the Lord, and he leads this nationwide revival in the kingdom of Judah, uh, which leads to the restoration of temple worship, a renewed love for the law and scripture, and a denouncement Of idol worship. And so some people look at Zephaniah and say, it's possible that Zephaniah prophesied prior to Josiah's reforms, and Zephaniah's prophecy actually influenced the revival that Josiah brought about. Uh, But there are others that will say, you know what, Josiah's uh, reforms were actually very short-lived, and they were not very widespread, and so it's very possible that Zephaniah's uh, prophecy came after uh, the reforms of Josiah, and Zephaniah was saying to the nation, listen, it's not enough. You haven't gone far enough. We know that Zephaniah is a descendant of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a righteous king of Judah, and it says here that Zephaniah is the great-great-grandson of Zephaniah, which would make him a relative of Josiah, so I don't know if this prophecy happened during like a family thanksgiving get together or something like that you know he gets up and thus saith the Lord and he's saying it to his own relative I don't know maybe not that might have caused some trouble, um, but it's possible and zephaniah's name and this this actually gives us a clue to the message of the entire book Zephaniah's name means Yahweh has hidden his name means Yahweh has hidden or Yahweh has protected or Yahweh has concealed or Yahweh has treasured and he's one of the only uh, there's only 10 Old Testament books that are actually not quoted in the New Testament and Zephaniah is one of those uh, but don't let that fool you his message was pointed and relevant to the people of his day but also reveals to us much about the character of God and about his heart for redemption So what is Zephaniah all about? We said the big idea of Zephaniah is that God is jealous for his treasure. And like many of the other prophets, his message is one of both judgment and redemption. And he's speaking to the kingdom of Judah, specifically to the city of Jerusalem. And he's talking to two groups. He's talking to the faithless, those who have abandoned their faith in God. And he's talking to the remnant, those who have kept their faith in God. And uh, he prophesies, perhaps more than any of the other prophets of his day, uh, using the term the day of the Lord. He talks about the day of the Lord. And uh, he says the day of the Lord is this day of reckoning. It's this day that's coming where God is going to bring everything to light. He is going to make everything right. And uh, God is uh, going to uh, bring a purging of the faithless, and he's going to bring the faithful to their full inheritance. And so... This uh, short book, it's only three chapters uh, in Zephaniah, has three, three basic parts, and we're going to actually just walk through each one of those parts here as we try to uh, digest the, the, the primary message of the book. So there's three parts to this book. First, there's an announcement of judgment. Then there's a call to repentance, and then there's a promise of salvation. I'm telling you that now so that you can see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel as we walk through the beginning part here. So the first part we see here is an announcement of judgment. And this is everybody's favorite part, isn't it? Let's just love reading the prophets, right? These you read it and just oh, I just I need to you ever wake up in the morning and you say I just need to read some judgment passages of scripture today. Uh, and so uh, some of the stuff that I'm going to read to you today are not verses that anybody's going to be putting on, on the wall. They're not verses that you're going to see put uh, you know, up out in the church foyer. They're not going to be put verses that you'd hang up on your wall, but they're verses that are very important in understanding the context of this book. Zephaniah has some of the most strong and graphic language in the beginning of his oracle. Listen to what he says here in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is, this is God speaking. He says, I will utterly... Sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Verse 17, he says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Hang that one on your wall. (laughs) Fun stuff. The opening language of Zephaniah's oracle is, is, is strong and graphic and even violent in nature and the way it describes what God is going to bring about and what God is going to do. And there's this sense... Uh, in, in the language of his oracle, that, that God is uncreating. It, it actually goes back to this idea in the book of Genesis, the same kind of language that God uses when he talks about mankind right before he sends the flood to destroy the earth and, and rescue Noah and his family. It's the same kind of language. He's got, it's as if God is saying, listen, I created the world. This is my creation, and so now I'm going to uncreate it. The earth is mine and everything is in it. And I created everything that exists. I am Lord over everything. And if I want to take it all away, I'm going to do that, just in case you forgot. Uncreating. So what is God so angry about? Well, from the very beginning, we understand that God uh, has established the nation of Israel to be something special, to be something different. And we actually take this all the way back to the time of Moses, and we read here this, let me read you this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. It says this, this is speaking to the nation of Israel upon its establishment. It says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, out of all the people's who are on the face of the earth, right? And so Zephaniah is saying, listen, God, God designed and created the people of Israel to be God's, God's treasured people, his special possession. He had a unique purpose and a unique mission for them to shine forth his glory, and now that treasure has been tainted. And Zephaniah says, here's how it's been tainted. There's three uh, grievances that Zephaniah identifies Against the people who were supposed to be the treasure of God. So he calls out three groups of people. He calls out judgment first on the compromising. The compromising. The first thing we see in the nation of Israel is this blatant the theological term is religious syncretism it's this this blending of religions this blending of faiths so it wasn't it wasn't just like the people of israel had said okay god we don't believe in you anymore we're going to completely reject you now we're going to go worship idols it was that they said okay we've got our god and 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 our religious religious beliefs here but we also have these other pagan religions and these other idols that we want to worship so let's just blend them all together into one Uh, into one belief system. Zephaniah says, listen, he says, "You, you swear by God on one hand, and at the same time, you also swear by Molech. Now, Molech was the pagan god who people would offer children to as sacrifices. And God says, you're using, you're using my name in the same sentence as the name of Moloch, as if somehow we're equal, as if somehow we're on the same playing field, as if, as if we should be in the same sentence. And it's almost as if God is saying to them, get my name out your mouth. He calls them out for absorbing and imitating the pagan superstitions of the surrounding nations. Listen, he says this. He says, on that day, verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, on that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold. What does that even mean? Is God just mad for people who like to jump over their doorway? Like, oh, a young couple just got married. They're going to step over. The, God's, oh, judgment on you. No, what's he saying here? Well, that phrase is actually a very unique idiom, and it goes all the way back to the book of 1 Samuel. And if you recall at that time, Israel goes into war Against the Philistines, and the nation of Israel is not serving God at that time, but they want to, they want to win the battle, and so they bring out with them the Ark of the Covenant instead of it being a, a symbol of their honor and their love and respect for the authority of God, they bring it out as a good luck charm, sort of as a superstition and the nation of Israel goes out to fight against the Philistines, and the Philistines come against them, and the Philistines defeat them, and they steal the Ark of the Covenant, they capture the Ark of the Covenant, and they take it back to their nation, and they put the Ark of the Covenant inside the temple of their god, Dagon. And the next day, when they come in to check on their god, to go worship their god, Dagon, they, found, they find that Dagon has fallen face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And the priests of The Philistines say, nothing to see here. And they go and they pick Dagon up and put him back up and pretend like everything's normal. And then the next day they come back in and not only has Dagon fallen down again, but his arms and his legs and his head are all broken off. And they're laying on the threshold of the temple of the Philistines. And so the Philistine priests... Instead of acknowledging the power of God and rejecting the power of Dagon and repenting and worshiping the one true God, instead, they treat it like another superstition. And they simply decide that for years to come, they were going to step over the threshold and just say, well, this is a holy place. We're going to stay away from this. And so when God says here to the nation of Israel, I'm going to judge everyone who jumps over the threshold. He's saying, listen, I'm going to judge you people who have marginalized the power of God. to a simple superstition. And you've, you've blended your faith with so many others as if I, the one true God now, am equal with all of these other lesser gods. You've He's saying, you've marginalized me as just another way to account for ultimate reality. I doubt many of you have your own idol temples at home, right? <laughs> that you struggle with this directly, right? But there's so many today that say, oh, there's just many ways to God. Who's right? Who's to know who's right? Who's to know who's wrong? Who's to know what's true, what's not? And God's saying, Listen, I'm not just one of many. I am the one. I am the only one. Zephaniah calls out the priests of the nation for leading people into idolatry. He's saying, Your leaders, your spiritual leaders have led you into idolatry instead of the pure worship of Yahweh. He calls out the leaders of the nation for absorbing the identity of other nations. He says, your leaders are clad in foreign clothes. He's not, he's not upset about a fashion statement they're making. He, what he's saying is, he's saying, listen, when I look at you, you who are supposed to be my people, you who are supposed to be my treasured possession, you, you who I brought out of Egypt and I created to be my own special people, a city on a hill, you, my people who I created, to be, I don't even recognize you anymore. You look just like everybody else. God is saying, I... I don't recognize you. You've lost your identity, and you've turned your back on me. And he says, you don't seek me anymore. He calls out the compromising. Next, he calls out the complacent. He calls out the complacent. And Zephaniah calls out this this arrogant complacency that exists in the people of Judah. He says, you have a sense of security and peace and safety because of your wealth and because of your military power. You feel like nothing can happen to you. And because of this, the complacent have stopped believing in a literal judgment and they've stopped believing in God's divine intervention and interaction with the affairs of people. Verse 12 of chapter one, he says, you say in your hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will He do ill. What does He mean by that? He's saying, they're saying in their minds, if, if anything good happens in my life, it happens because of me. It happens because of the good things that I've done, the hard work that I've done, the things that I've done to elevate myself. But God, He is just up there, and He's far off, and He's distant. He's not a God who interacts with the affairs of people. He's not a God who comes and speaks to us and talks to us and moves inside of our lives. He's not a God who's ever going to judge and bring about things, uh, bring about a reckoning to what is right and what is wrong in the world. If God, if He exists, He does not have the power or the interest to affect my life personally. It's a complete dismissal of the power and relevancy of God in their lives. They say, God, you're just, you're up there. We might believe in you, but you're just, you're way far away. You don't affect me on a daily basis. And Zephaniah says, the source of this arrogant complacency is your wealth and your military defenses. Their sense of security was in their wealth and in the secure defenses of their city. city. And God is saying, your sense of security is about to be taken away. He says, the day of the Lord is coming. And when the day of the Lord comes, your silver and your gold and all of your wealth and all of your military strength, none of that is going to be able to save you. He said, you stop trusting me. You've Ignored my voice. You've been unwilling to receive correction. You've stopped believing that I am your source of security and safety and prosperity and wholeness in this world. He said, When the day of the Lord comes, all your wealth, all your prosperity, all of your security will be gone unless it's in me. And finally, Zephaniah calls out the corrupt. He calls out the corrupt. He says, your society has failed to reflect the justice of God. He said, your your merchants, your your business people, they, they love wealth so much that they're willing to exploit the poor in order to gain it. He said, your priests love influence and power so much that they're willing to manipulate and misconstrue the law of God in order to get what they want. He says the, the spiritual leaders were manipulating Scripture in order to get people to do what they wanted them to do. Zephaniah says in 3.4, he says, he says, they do violence to the law. And then he says, your civil leaders love pleasure so much that they overindulge to the point where they care nothing for the future. He says, you are like roaring lions, like evening wolves who devour and leave nothing until morning. Zephaniah says, uh, your wealth, your power, your pleasure, everything that you've lusted after has caused you to be so corrupt that you have lost all sense of shame. He says, you feel no shame. He says, you are, you, are so, you are so consumed with your own desires, you're so consumed with your love of, of money and your love of power and your, your, your love of pleasure that you've, you fail even now to experience shame, to realize that the fulfillment of your desires actually causes harm and devastation to others and undermines the picture of the justice of God that you were called to represent. I think this is, this is a new level of thinking when we think about what we do and why we do it. It's one thing to say that I'm doing something sinful because I'm I'm trying to get something for myself. I'm trying to be selfish for myself. But he's saying, no, the corruption goes much deeper. It comes from a place where you are so consumed with what you want and what you must have that you don't care who it hurts and who you destroy along the way. And when you do that, you violate the very picture of the justice of God that he designed you to represent. So this is the audience that Zephaniah is speaking to. And Zephaniah says, because of this, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. And it's not a sacrifice of a bull or ram or sheep. He said the sacrifice is you. He said, you are putting yourself in the place where you, Mao, must be the sacrifice for what happens. And he calls them then to be silent before God. That's what it feels like right now after I talk about all this judgment. Everybody's just like, oh. He calls them to be silent before God. The prophet Habakkuk called... the nation that he was speaking to, to be silent before God as well. But it was different. Habakkuk says, be silent as God judges all your enemies around you. But Zephaniah says, be silent as God judges you. Now this is all... Very grim and depressing, but Zephaniah is painting a vivid picture here. He's painting a picture of the the gravity of what the nation of Judah has become. He's saying, you, the nation of Judah, God's people, he said, you were supposed to be God's people. A city on a hill for all nations. Instead, you look just like everybody else around you. You were supposed to be intimately connected with and close to God and finding your security in him. And instead, you sought after wealth and comfort and pleasure and displaced him from your life. You were supposed to be a beacon of justice and righteousness and goodness in the world. And instead, you exploited the poor and marginalized the weak for your own personal gain. And so God is bringing this judgment because of, and this is key, because of his jealousy. Zephaniah actually bookends his entire prophecy with, with this phrase. He says, they will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy. He says it in chapter 1 and again in chapter 3 as he finishes. He says, they will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy. Now, Pastor Bill talked to you a couple weeks ago, and he said, there's a difference between jealousy and envy, and that envy is wanting what others have, but jealousy is wanting what's rightfully yours. And this is God saying, I want what is rightfully mine. I created you, I built you up as a nation, I created you to be a people who would shine forth my light to the world and I want back what's mine. And Zephaniah gives us this detailed picture of how passionate God is for what belongs to him and the lengths that he's willing to go in order to restore it. In the midst of all this, Zephaniah offers us a call to repentance It's the second section of the book here is a call to repentance. He offers an opportunity for the people to repent and to seek the Lord before judgment comes. Now, he doesn't say repent and judgment won't come. In fact, he says, listen, judgment is coming. The day of the Lord is coming Regardless, but the humble have the opportunity to find safety in God. Um, Now, I'm sure none of you parents have this problem, but my children are what I like to call mini hoarders in training. Um, they, uh, They have an inability to throw anything away. Right? any art project they've ever done, any toy they've ever gotten at a fast food restaurant, like is anything, they just collect it and collect it and collect it. And finally, you know, we walk into their rooms and we're like, okay, something's gotta change. And so we tell our kids, we warn our kids, we say, listen, this is bad, this is really bad. The day of the parents is coming. <laughs> we're gonna come in here very soon with a trash bag and anything that does not look like it's worth anything we're going to purge it from your room and is going to be clean once again now listen you have an opportunity right now you have an opportunity to find what you think is valuable to you and put it in its proper place and to clean this before we come through but listen we're coming through regardless so get ready and this is what this is what Zephaniah is offering to the people of Israel he's saying listen judgment is coming It's coming, but you have an opportunity to get on board. You have an opportunity to change. You have an opportunity to repent. And so listen to what he says here in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. In the midst of this avalanche of judgment and doom, we see the mercy of God on full display. I think it's hard for us sometimes to read passages of Scripture like this because of the picture that it paints of God. None of us want to see God in this light. But the truth is, and you've probably heard this in other messages if you've gone through the Minor Prophets, but the truth is this, is that God is perfect in both justice and mercy. And, and the truth is that as dreadful as God is in judgment, he is all the more gracious in restoration. And so God offers this opportunity to seek him and to find security in him. And the language that he uses here is fascinating. He says, Perhaps you may be hidden on that day. Perhaps you'll be hidden. Or concealed. This harkens back to, to Zephaniah's name, which is Yahweh has hidden, or Yahweh has concealed, or Yahweh has protected. He's saying, listen, uh, if you repent and you turn to God and you hide yourself in Him, He will conceal and hide you on that day of judgment. He'll be your protector. What's He saying? He's saying that there's a divine protective power, a divine security that only God can provide for us. And when we seek him in humility, that's where we find it. How many of you know that there's no safer place to be than to be hidden in God? There's no safer place to be than to be hidden in God. And when the world crumbles and crashes around you, you will be kept safe. You will be concealed. You will be treasured. Why? Because you are hidden in him. And God's desire for his people is to find their refuge in him. God's desire for his people, his treasure is to fold their very lives, their very identity, the, uh, the very essence of who they are into his divine identity. He's saying, hide yourselves in me and I'll protect you. Now this requires humility. Humility. I think you can't have true repentance without humility. And so here we see that Zephaniah is making a plea to the nation of Israel. He's saying, listen, be humble and be hidden. Be humble and be hidden. And his message for those who are already humble and who are already hidden is he says, for the rest of you who are already humble and hidden, wait. Wait. Just wait. Wait through the judgment to see God's ultimate restoration. God is going to do something that you never could see the perfect picture of in the end, but He's going to do it. And finally, Zephaniah brings us to the final section here, and he gives us this promise of salvation, this beautiful promise of salvation. It's this, this picture of what God's end game is for us. I said in the beginning that that Zephaniah's oracle was this this picture of uncreating, right? It's this picture of destruction. God's saying, I created the world and now I'm going to uncreate it. I made everything, now I'm going to unmake it. Well, here now in the the promise of salvation at the end, the salvation that he's bringing, God says, listen, uh, not only am I going to uncreate the world, but now I'm going to recreate it the way I designed it to be created. And... Again, we go back to this language of Genesis where uh, uh, God is not only recreating, but he's reversing what was lost he gives us this, the idea that, that God is going to reverse what happened at the Tower of Babel. If you remember the Tower of Babel, it was a time and place where, where all the peoples of the earth got together and they said, we don't need God, we can be completely on our own, we can do this ourselves, we're going to build a tower that reaches unto heaven, that displays our own might, our own power, our own individualism. And God, sa- God said at that time, he said, I'm not going to have this. And so he, he confuses their language and disperses them throughout the face of the earth. But Zephaniah says, in that day, the day of the Lord, which is not just a day of judgment, it's a day of salvation, in that day, God is going to bring back people from not just Jerusalem, not just Judah, but from all across the earth, and he's going to bring them back together, and he's going to unite their language into one pure speech. He gives us this this picture of, of God gathering people from all nations to come together and worship him and serve him with unified purpose. God says, I'm going I'm to build back my people again. I'm going to remove the proud and the haughty and the arrogant and those who can think they can do it without me. And this is what I'm going to leave you with. Chapter three, verses 12 and 13, he says this, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, they shall seek refuge in the name of the lord the humble and the hidden those who are left in israel they shall do no injustice and speak no lies nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue for they shall graze and lie down and none shall make them afraid and he said he pictures this this removal and reversal of shame. You remember how I told you before that, that the corrupt were so corrupt that they, they didn't even experience shame. And so God says, because you have no shame, I'm going to bring shame upon you. But this is what God says he's going to do here. He says, when you get to this place, when I, when I have done my work, there will be no more shame. And not only will there be no more shame, verse 19, he says, I will change your shame into praise and renown in all the earth. It's the message of Zephaniah. So what what can we learn from Zephaniah? I mean, this is a Old Testament prophecy. Um, It's for the nation of Israel, right? So we could look at it and say, well, it was for them and it's not for me Uh, It was for the people of Israel in the Old Testament. We have the New Testament, we have Jesus, so we're just gonna ignore all that. There's two questions I like to ask when looking at, at a passage like this. And first is, what does this reveal to us about the character of God? And second, what does this reveal to us about what God is looking for from us? And so, first question I ask is, what does this reveal to us about the character of God? And the first and the most obvious thing is this, is that God is jealous for his treasured people. He's jealous for his treasure people. God, God uh, it, he, he has a passionate desire to see his people be everything he designed and created them to be. And when we think about the lengths that God is willing to go through to get his people to be where he wants them to be, we understand the beautiful heart of the redemptive nature of God because of what, G, what God went through to rescue us through Jesus Christ. Think about the lengths that God went through to show us the heart of God, to show us who Jesus Christ is and to rescue us. But I want you to know this today. God rescued us for so much more than for us just to get out of hell and into heaven. He rescued us for so much. He didn't just send Jesus to give you a get out of jail free card so that you could just say, okay, uh, now I don't have to go to hell. Now I can go to heaven. I can be with Jesus for all eternity. That's it. God rescued us for so much more than that. God, God has a treasured people that he's building. He has an identity that he wants us to reflect when people see us, that they can see him in us and we can reflect his glory to the world. He rescued you so that you could become everything he created you to be. So you could reflect his divine glory and identity to this world. God is jealous and passionate about his people being everything he created them to be. He's jealous for his treasured people to carry his identity. The second thing we see is that as dreadful as God is in judgment, he is all the more gracious in restoration. As dreadful as God is in judgment, He is all the more gracious in restoration. He's perfect in both justice and mercy. And his judgments are always redemptive in nature and purpose. And one of the big messages of Zephaniah is this. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment, but it is also a day of salvation. And where do we see this more perfectly displayed other than Jesus Christ himself? The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is, is the, the He says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, meaning that Jesus Christ is the perfect picture to us. He's the clearest picture to us of who God is and what his heart is for us. And in Jesus Christ, we see the judgment of God and the mercy of God on full display. But in Jesus Christ, the judgment of God is not poured out on us. It's not poured out on you and me. It's poured out on Jesus Christ himself the judgment and the salvation of God on the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And finally, we see that God is in the business of creating and recreating. He's in the business of making all things new. But I think sometimes there's moments in our life where God has to uncreate before he can recreate There's some things that God has to dismantle in our lives before he can build it up the right way and put it back together the way he designed it to be. I don't know uh, who that was for today. I almost took that out of the message, but I felt like God wanted me to say that today, that that God is in the business of making all things new. And and sometimes in order to do that, he's going to have to break down some things in your life. But his judgments, his divine purposes are always redemptive in nature. God is in the business of creating. He's in the business of recreating. He's in the business of making all things new. So what is God looking for from his people? What is God looking for from his people? He's looking for people who are humble and hidden. Who are humble and hidden. For those who will take refuge in him and absorb his divine identity. This message hasn't changed. This is the message all throughout the Old Testament. God says, find your safety, find your security, find your refuge in me. And this is the message of the gospel. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter three, verses three and four. He says this, he says, for you have died, talking about your salvation. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, He hides you, He protects you, He conceals you, He treasures you. And so, when God sees you, and when He sees me, He doesn't see He doesn't see my sin, He doesn't see my rebellion, He doesn't see all the things that I have done uh, wrong against Him. He sees the perfect blood of Jesus Christ because I am hidden in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, "When Christ, who is your life, appears." then you also will appear with him in glory. We're never more safe or secure than when we are hidden in God. And Zephaniah says this. He says, when the day of God's salvation comes, this is what it's gonna look like. Verse 17, he says, when that day comes, it will be said, the Lord is in your midst. A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God is jealous for his treasure. And who is his treasure? His treasure is you. It's me. Would you pray with me?